You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. My name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. When I was a child, I saw my mother killed by something impossible. My father went to prison for her murder. Then an accident made me the impossible. To the outside world, I'm an ordinary forensic scientist. But secretly, I use my speed to fight crime and find others like me. And one day, I'll find who killed my mother and get justice for my father. I am The Flash. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am so excited to be here and you are going to have to forgive us right up front because the puns are going to be flying fast and furious tonight. We are going to be hitting the ground running. We are going to be going so fast. We're going to go, I think we're going to be hitting warp speed by the time this show starts. I think we already have. Uh, I'm excited to be here in the 602 Club because we are going to be talking about Flash Season 1, and I'm sure you already figured that out. Yes, Norm here is with me tonight. Hey, Norm, welcome back to the 602. It's good to be back. This is an exciting show. The Flash is an exciting show. Everything about what we're talking about is going to be exciting. It's like I've got hit with a bolt of lightning. That's... I. Uh, is that why your shirt has that bolt of lightning on it? Is that what happened right there? We'll talk about that at the end of the show. That's a spoiler. Oh, okay. That's a spoiler. Okay. But this is my official Flash Day shirt. I love it. I love it. I've got my Star Labs t-shirt on, and we're lucky because with us is Bruce Gibson, the fastest man alive. My name is Barry Allen, and I'm the fastest man alive. Oh, wait, no. My name's Bruce Gibson, and I'm not the fastest man alive, and I'm wearing my pajamas. <laughs> awesome. Uh, everybody so, is so excited. I, if you guys could see a picture right now, Bruce looks so cute in his footy pajamas. So yeah, that's why he's not the fastest man alive right now, because if you run in those footy pajamas, you tend to fall down. The coolest thing so about excited. Bruce's pajamas is that he keeps them tucked into a ring. <laughs> and anytime he needs them, he just pushes that ring and super speeds oh, right into his footies. Boom, that's awesome. bunny boom, slippers. Just like that. Oh, I love it. How do you get those bunny slippers in there? And you know, know it? Never mind. Uh, before we do get completely off track here, I want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network, and we're so excited to be. Uh, we're the only place here on the network where you can hear non-Star Trek talk. We have so many different Star Trek podcasts these days. We're bringing them to you uh, there from iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're a featured provider. So while you're there, hit us up with an iTunes review and star rating. We really appreciate that for all of our shows, but specifically for the 602 Club feeds that we have. You can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We'd love to get an email from you. Go to Trek.FM slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club. and That'll come right to me. You can also find us on the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook, and we'll let you right into that group. And, of course, we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Now, guys, as I said, there are tons of great puns that go along with this show. But uh, it was interesting because uh, DCTV, with Arrow Season 2, started something really interesting, which was... 
we're going to start to add different heroes into the universe. And their first hero that they decided they were going to add because we knew that they were doing kind of a backdoor pilot. Um, and in fact, the pilot for Flash was going to be in Arrow. And then they decided, no, we're just going to give it its own pilot. But uh, Barry Allen showed up in season two of Arrow when he visited the Starling City tracking down a lead where he teams up with Felicity, he saves Oliver's life, and he returns home, gets hit with that particle accelerator and puts him in a coma with which he wakes up from uh, and we see in the original Flash pilot. And so they start this trend of, of being doing this thing that comic books do, which is if they need a new hero to show up, they start introducing them into the show. And it, it was so cool that I, I felt like this is where DC TV really started to feel like you're watching a comic book every week. And they, I mean, this show starts off quite quick. Uh, he's in the suit by the end of the show, uh, the first episode. And so I wanted to ask you guys about that feeling of that this show really doesn't let its foot off the accelerator at any point during this first season. Yeah, before we jump into that, there's one thing I would love to do, and I'd, I'd love it if we could all get like Greg Berlanti and Jeff Johns in this room and ask them one simple question. Did you know that this was going to happen? Was this all planned ahead? Because as, as almost um, improv as it feels, I have to believe that this is all part of this really intricate and well thought out and well choreographed schedule that they're dripping out really slowly over time. That's going to be culminating in what's going to be happening in a couple of weeks, which is going to be Batman versus Superman. Because with Arrow, it set up a very specific universe, very specific language and vocabulary, and was very dark. And as soon as they introduced Barry Allen, you started scratching your head. And you're like, it's Barry Allen. But in that episode of Arrow in season two, he wasn't the Flash. He was just Barry Allen. And you were waiting for him to do something like off camera, like something really fast, you know, kind of like a Jedi mind trick. But he didn't. He was just regular old human Barry Allen. Until we got to the pilot, and then you were like, oh, you know, so that episode in Arrow was more like episode 0.5 of The Flash, and then we get to, you know, one, episode one of The Flash, and yeah, it hit the ground running. I'm going to say it. I'm going to spoil the puns, too. It was phenomenally good as a pilot, in many ways, probably my favorite of all of the pilots that have come out so far of all of these shows, including all the stuff that Marvel's doing on ABC. It's just, it's special. I think it's the best way that I can describe it. It's just special. It really is. Yeah, when I saw the Arrow episode or episodes with Barry Allen, it's like, okay, we're going to see The Flash. And then we don't see The Flash. And I'm like, when are we going to see The Flash? He's got to come in at some point. And then, you know, I hear the announcement that they're coming out with The Flash series. And yeah, I don't do puns. Yeah, I do. But I'm going to try not to. This is a challenge tonight. So the first episode comes on. And I mean, just like Norm said, I mean, it was exciting. It got right into it. I mean, that's what you want to see in a pilot, especially a superhero pilot. You want to see the superhero. You're not going to want to wait, wait until the second or third or fourth episode. You have to get into it in that first episode. And right away, and not just the action, but right away, I was already intrigued and interested in these characters. I love the cast of the show. Well, I think that that's one thing that, that made this so interesting is because, you know, having Barry Allen against Oliver as a contrast, 
Uh, those two characters are similar and yet different. You know, Oliver has this whole thing where he's really fighting this darkness, and he was never really a good guy. I mean, you know, before his adventure on the island or, you know, time in purgatory and or hell, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's pretty awful what happened to him. Uh, he wasn't a good guy then, and he learns to be a good guy through the strangest means possible, but he's always fighting this darkness inside it. But Barry is a different story. You know, Barry has this really bad thing happen to him. In fact, Wells is hoping that this bad thing will not allow him to be the Flash. It'll keep him from being who he would become. And yet, Barry is able to overcome, and that's one of the coolest things about this show as opposed to Arrow. Arrow's all about Oliver learning from his mistakes. Flash, I feel like, is more about Barry just continuing to embrace the goodness within him. And watching that is a, is a really nice contrast and creates, you know, this kind of light and dark there at the beginning here for the Arrowverse, as I guess we call it. And I think it's really neat because Barry has something, too, that, you know, Oliver never did. His, you know, his dad goes to jail, his mom dies, but Barry still ends up in a family that loves him and supports him and gives him everything he needs to become a quote-unquote kind of normal human being. Uh, you know, again, Oliver never has that. So I think it's a really interesting thing to watch these two men struggle with what it means to be a hero from completely different perspectives. And it creates a nice contrast for the, the DC Universe on TV at that point because it, then it was only Arrow and Flash. And I, I really like where they did that. And I, I loved that they show that you can have darkness next to the light and they they work really well. And in fact, they can actually work in concert with each other pretty nicely. You know, the interesting thing about those two contrasts is specifically seen in how the team forms around them and how the past has shaped these two men up to this point. Oliver was a product of, of this um, pretty unstable background. You know, his father was... Uh, a tycoon. He was a party boy. He had very unscrupulous um, methods of behavior. <laughs> and he, he just wasn't like a generally a good guy. He just really, he was lost. He was lost before he got to the island. And then he was really lost. And interestingly- Luckily, we don't meet a polar bear on the island. Or a so. giant smoke cloud. But. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing is his first mentor on the island was Slade. And Slade- became, you know, he trained him to be a certain way to get him off the island, but this isn't about Arrow, but I'm just saying that Oliver started off dark and became darker, but the team that he forged around them helps him to recover his humanity. Barry started off with a tremendous amount of humanity, but I think it takes a little bit of understanding where that darkness comes from to temper almost his immaturity. So you're seeing them come almost from completely different sides of the coin and you're seeing how they're balancing out. And when they find that balance, they're becoming that true hero, in my opinion. I'm thinking that well, on Arrow, I feel like over time, um, especially this past season, I guess season four, that um, that Arrow has become a little lighter. Um, and it makes me wonder if that's a result of the success of Flash or if that was always the plan to transfer Arrow into Green Arrow. Uh, so I don't feel like... 
that character is as dark, which makes me wonder if over time the Flash character is going to become darker and you got one on one side of the light, one on the darker side, and they're moving closer and closer together. Well, I was watching the extras the other day on the the Blu-ray set uh, because I finally got through the season. I rewatched it all, and, and I finally got to get to those extras, and they were talking about, um, for them, Barry, and, and Jeff Johns was talking about this specifically, so coming from a real authority figure there at DC, but saying, like, I don't ever see Barry getting darker. That's just not who he is. Um, not Barry, especially here in this uh, season um and and especially in this show his darkness has i think more to do with his kind of cockiness and uh you know he he's kind of full of himself and why wouldn't you be when all of a sudden you're 25 years old and you're handed these kind of powers i mean barry can run up and down buildings he can go past mach 2 if he needs to he can phase through things he's running so fast. I mean, this guy can get away with anything he wants to. And so that kind of, I think that tempering and knowing that he has things to learn is probably the most interesting part about this. And I think that's another difference between him and Arrow, which made a great contrast. Oliver, and they they mention this in the crossover episode that they do, uh, and Barry kind of shoots it back at, at Oliver. Look, you're never going to be as fast as I am. And you'll never be as good as I am. And I don't even have to try. You know, he's like, you can do that bar you have in your cave as many times as you want. And you'll still never be as good as me. You know, so there is that cockiness in him. And it gets him in trouble. And I love that, you know. Um, so uh, I, I do think that it is great that they they allow Barry to experience some things, especially by the end of the season where he tries to be a little bit more like Oliver and he has to learn the lesson that that's not who he is. Uh, and that's okay. He's a different type of hero and it's all about learning what type of hero you're going to be. And uh, I think the the interesting thing of being gifted a bunch of powers next to having to earn it, kind of like you see with uh, Oliver, I mean, he's had to earn everything that he is, and and really in some bad ways. I just, it's again, it's a great contrast, and I think it made this show great. I wanted to ask you guys: Do you feel like too that Arrow helped them know exactly kind of what they wanted to do with this show, so that it does help it be so successful just right away? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, I've actually thought about this question before, and that's why I, I said what I said at the beginning. Does uh, did did Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti kind of have this almost like this um, this long con game that they're tra- trying to build with DC? Because with Arrow, one of the things that it did, and it leapfrogged into Flash, and then that in turn leapfrogged into Legends of Tomorrow, is that they built, and in some ways, Supergirl, they built this framework that was very successful with Arrow. You had the hero, regardless of his methodology. Then you had the allies that they started building up. You know, you had the Scooby team, like in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, you, or in Scooby-Doo, you know, but uh, you had this support structure that worked really well. And then they in turn became all of these different parts of the consciousness that helped inform the hero. That worked really well for Arrow. And that really culminated at the end of Arrow season one, 
into season two, you got really into that framework and it was very established. So when you got to Flash season one, when they got to Star Labs and you saw all the different support structure here, um, allies that they had there on the team on Star Labs, and we're going to get to that in a second, you felt like, okay, they have actually started perfecting and honing this formulation for these shows. When it came to like maybe Legends or even Supergirl, it started feeling a little bit more formulaic, but I don't think it's just because the shows haven't settled in yet. But when it came to Flash, they instantly became an extension of Arrow. And I think by and large, you trusted that formula. So when you got to see Caitlin and Cisco, you're like, oh, these are the archetypes of, say, Diggle and Felicity. You know, you have these support people that help the hero do their job. And it just felt like a natural extension from Arrow. Yeah, it's like they took Arrow and we said, okay, let's do the same type of thing, but we'll just make it lighter, a little more fun to it. Um, because it it did feel that way that these characters were an extension more so of Felicity. I mean, Felicity added a lot of uh, levity to the Arrow's show and became a very popular character. And I think they, they saw that in that character and what she did with that that show on Arrow and then took it into the Flash and said, okay, let's lighten up these characters a little more. Same type of situation. We have this lab where they work in. They support the superhero. And yeah, that formulatic uh, situation was put in there that they've learned from Arrow. So it, there's some similarities between those, and, but uh, they definitely stand on their own. Yeah, but that's more like on the surface because as the show started to mature, then all the characters started finding their own voices and rhythms and cadences and they started becoming their characters as opposed to the extensions of of the archetypes that came before. Like I said, and you're right, there's more Felicity in both of those characters. It's like Felicity got split into two and became Caitlin and Cisco in a way. And I think uh, I think Diggle probably probably bled more into Joe yeah. because he is more of kind of like that harder, uh, more fatherly type of consciousness, you know. But we're gonna get to that in a second. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the show. No, I think that those are great points, you guys, and I think that. More than any of the other shows, Arrow and Flash are kind of mirrors for each other um, with just different types of heroes behind them. But the setup is really this is very similar. Like how how does a specific hero become the hero? And so that made the things that they had learned through season one and two of Arrow they put those into practice with Flash and they had refined that process so that they really do, they hit the ground running uh, by uh, the first season of of The Flash. And I think it, it's so true. If you watch those two seasons of Arrow and then you're watching season one of Flash concurrent with season three of, of Arrow, you can totally see they have taken all the bumps in the road that were there for Arrow and smoothed those all out and find a way to make those work. And I think part of that has to be the casting. I mean, these characters being brought to life by, I mean, let's just start with the man we're talking about, Barry Allen, the Flash, the fastest man alive. I'm sorry, Bruce. Uh, Grant Gustin. I mean, this guy... You know when you think of uh, when people think of Superman, and they kind of immediately a lot of people think of Christopher Reeves. I think Grant Gustin has that same feeling as the Flash. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. He has really taken the role 
and made it his own. I grew up in the era where the Flash TV show was, you know, that was like 1987 or 1988. It was right after the Tim Burton Batman. 89, I think it was. And it was the era of the big rubber suits. And we're going to get to John Wesley Ship in a second. And John Wesley Ship for the longest time was my Flash. But that was a, you know, that was a couple decades ago. And then all of a sudden you have Grant Gustin come in with his very easygoing presence and that killer smile and that just, he's so charming. And I think I told this to you, Matt, one time. It's like, he's just, he's, he's charisma on walking form. He's so magnetic. And I think you really needed that to be that complete contrast to Stephen Amell's Oliver Queen. So when you see them both on screen, they're, they're iconic, not just in their overall silhouette as the superhero, but in their personalities as well. I can't help but believe that Grant is like that in real life. Not saying that Amel's a darker personality, but the smile, just the way that he carries himself. He and like Melissa Benoist are like the most like pleasing to look at charming people, I think, on the planet right now. <laughs> and they, they show that in their yeah. heroes. So I love Grant Gustin. I couldn't even imagine the show not having him in the lead. Well, I like that he is not what I always pictured the Flash, like you were saying. I, I, you know, I had the vision of the earlier Flash TV series and and the comics, and 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 so he seemed like a younger Flash, like a kid Flash, but not kid Flash. But uh, but then I really loved him in this in this role and his enthusiasm, and I like that he's real thin. Because, you know, if you're the Flash and you're running and, and you're just like constantly moving around, you would have to be thin and not that big buff like character it was in the, in the old series with the big rubber suit. You would be this thin guy that's running around all the time. And Grant's got to keep the weight off on the show because that fast, that means he's getting a lot of exercise going and burning off those carbs. Well, and that was one of the things that I found out in the extras and I thought was really smart. You know, in the comic book, uh, Flash is tall, pretty muscular, and blonde hair. Uh, you know, he he's kind of everything you think of when you think hero. And, and they specifically chose Grant, not because, you know, Grant has anything bad about him, but because he didn't quite look like the hero. He looks kind of more like the nerd who gets gifted these powers, and that created this character, and I think it was really smart to do that because it made him so likable. It made you feel like it was like you getting struck with powers. You know, you got struck by lightning and you got turned into Flash. Anybody could have this happen to him, so I think that really... Is, is what goes a long way in selling the character. And, and Grant is killing it as the Flash. I mean, he is just, he's so good. There's nothing about his performance I don't like or buy. He's just, ah, man, guy. Ah, Grant, let's go on at a date. If he wasn't the Flash, if he didn't get cast as Barry Allen, I mean, I'm just going to say it. He would be perfect as Peter Parker. Uh-huh. Because That's true, yeah. You're, you're pulling a lot of what made Spider-Man very unique as a character. Peter Parker was the nerd. He, he was almost a forensic scientist in his own right because he was such a brainiac. He was a little bit of a loner. And physically, he actually looks more like Grant Gustin than, than Grant Gustin looks like Barry Allen. And he has that kind of quippishness, that flippishness, that almost that immaturity and that sense of whimsy 
that he brings, you know, to his character. So, but also, and one thing that I think that Grant does probably better than most and, and something for such a young actor, he's, he plays vulnerable so well. I mean, I'm, he's brought me to the verge of tears in, in many scenes. And I think that's really interesting in a hero. He's not a Mel. He's not the big buff guy who's trained and trains and trains and trains because, you know, he has to be better and more physical and stronger and more powerful. You're right. He got hit by lightning. Any one of us could be sitting around a box of chemicals right now and get hit by lightning and, and tap into the speed force. That's what we're supposed to believe. That's how you connect with that. I mean, as long as I don't turn into Mr. Clean instead, I'd be <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's very much in that same vein of, of that Peter Parker kind of mold. Well, and that is something that they really wanted was somebody who could play vulnerable um, because, you know, obviously this is a story about a man who is trying to save his father somehow, you know, and you need somebody who can sell that emotion and Grant just, I mean, he does that. He has that in spades. So um, I, I think uh, I think he's fantastic. And uh, it leads me to his counterpart, you know, his kind of love interest through this season, which is Candace Patton playing Iris West. Almighty Iris. That's why I always say, like Isis, Almighty Iris. <laughs> now, Candace Patton is Paula Patton's sister or cousin? Somewhere in there. I know they're related. Just a little bit of trivia in there. I liked her. I didn't, I didn't really feel like um, I knew Iris West that much from the comics. I never really got a lot from her character, but I know that she was a great motivator for Barry. I thought she did a really good job. I thought she grew with the character. Uh, there were obvious situations where they put her as damsel of distress, but not too many. I thought she was good. I, I mean, I, I thought she worked really well with Eddie Thawne, the actor who played Eddie Thawne. I thought they were nice together. I, I like her. I think she's good. I think she's attractive. I think she plays well with Grant on screen. The only issue I have is the same issue I had with Lana Lang and Smallville. When they get to the parts where she's complaining that people are keeping secrets from her and I, and she can't stand it and she needs a break, she needs to pull away. I don't know why those types of scenes like in this and in Smallville always drive me crazy. And then it gets me to a point where I, I don't like the character as much. But then when she comes off of that and she figures out Barry is who he is and she calms down, I start to like her again. I guess I just don't like it when she's mad at her hero. It, that is a thing that is interesting in this show. And I wish that so we'll talk a little bit later about subverting some expectations, but I wish that, you know, uh, there is always the thing. Okay. Do you tell people? Do you not tell people and whatnot? And there are some good reasons for for not telling people, you know, uh, who you are and what your secret is. Uh, and there are some good reasons for doing it. And I kind of was hoping that when she found out she wasn't going to be mad at Barry, that she would kind of understand the reasoning behind why they're doing what they're doing. And that it was with the best intentions. And... You know, it's very cliched for the person to get mad at the hero when they find out they've been quote-unquote lied to about this huge secret. And I just wish that had been different. I wish that they had written her. I think it would have been stronger for her character to be able to be okay with understanding, you know. But it, in the end, I, I think that she does well enough. Um I think she's stronger in season two, which is good. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I agree. I felt a little bad for her when she did find out because then you realize everybody around her knew that Barry was the Flash except her. And it's kind of like, why? Have, she's probably thinking, why can everybody else know but me? I mean, I kind of felt for her at that point. 
And also, I've been playing the fool this whole time. You know, I've been kind of played for a fool. Right. You know, so, yeah, I can understand that. But you're right. I totally agree with you, Matt. Um, Bruce, that she is far stronger in the second season than she is in the first season. But I do think that they kind of put her out there as being this, almost as if um, she's she's speaking to a segment of audience that we don't really relate to. And I think it's just... Yeah, you know, and I think that's okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, but I love that they chose a, an actress, though, who I felt like, I do feel like she can act. And I feel like she plays the part well and... You know, again, as we reference, we feel like she gets stronger in season two. So that's fantastic. That's that's a great thing for any character to feel like they're growing and they're getting better season after season. Uh, I feel the same way about Danielle Panabaker as Caitlin Snow. I I feel like she just grows by episode by episode. In the, even in this season, like she just she has. I, I, she has a lot um we we're talking about felicity and you know whether or not uh, her and cisco are like felicity i i feel like she has a a lot more soul to her than felicity does at the very beginning because she has this story behind what's happened to her and i just i love her and the moment her and barry start to get really chummy as friends and the the night that they go out and party and she gets drunk. It's my favorite scene in the entire the, the entire season because it's so true, you know. Like it's it, and it's so real about these two people connecting as friends. There's nothing like sexual about it or anything. Like they're just there to support each other. And she continues to do that throughout the entire season. And it makes me love her portrayal. So I, Caitlin Snow is is she's just awesome in this season. I love her. I think they actually did like squee many times during the course of this show because one of my all-time favorite characters when I was growing up was Firestorm. And when I heard the names Caitlin Snow and uh, Ronnie Raymond, I was like, are you kidding me? They're, they're, they're fusing Firestorm into the story in some way. Then I saw her and I'm like, all right, when's the, when's the other shoe going to drop? When's the other shoe going to drop? Because that's Caitlin Snow. That's going to be eventually Killer Frost in, in some incarnation. Uh, spoilers if anyone who hasn't gotten to season two or, or the end of season one. But yeah, I think that she's great. I loved her in Justified. She made a, an appearance um, on a couple episodes of Justified, I believe, in um, a prison sequence. And I thought she was really good in that uh, she has a very serious maturity about her when she wants to when she wants to be kind of like the elder um, of that trio between Barry and Cisco and Caitlin, because sometimes those two guys get a little... Uh, slap happy and she has to come down and say like, okay guys, we actually have to catch criminals here. So I think she's great. I think that she and uh, Grant have great chemistry together. And I thought that she and Robbie Amell have fantastic chemistry together when they were doing their Caitlin and, and Ronald Raymond scenes. Um, I don't think that I'm actually going to say anything really poorly about any of the casting choices. I think all the casting choices are incredibly solid. It's just varying degrees of awesome and more awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of true in this show. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys have said. And Matt, that is one of my favorite scenes too, the whole karaoke scene when they're out having drinks and they're getting up there on stage singing and, and Caitlin starts singing really bad and, and all of a sudden Barry actually sings very well. And then they go back to her place and she starts to change her clothes right in front of Barry and he turns around. It's almost like the Kirk Marcus thing and into darkness in a sense, but probably played a little better. 
And she's just like, it's okay if you took a peek. It's okay. And she's just all drunk. <laughs> so, I mean, that was a great scene for her because she's in a lot of ways so uptight. And she's the one who's the rock of the group and brings everybody back down to, you know, let's get serious and bring you back down to earth. And then just to see her get loose like that was a really fun side of her. Well, and, and I, I think that it, it that was the, the part of the season where Caitlin made a turn, you know, where she did become less uptight and, and especially in her relationship with Barry. And I, I just love the way that it just it continues to progress into season two. And, and I, I remember when the show started, uh, Rick Costnett, who plays Eddie Thawne, he wasn't, he wasn't totally grabbing me, but I find throughout the end of the season, he's another person who just does continually get better and better. And, and I think maybe it's the moment when he finally becomes part of Team Flash and him and Barry actually begin to start to kind of connect. It's really interesting. And he has such a great character arc throughout the season. I mean, again, we're spoiling the season rotten. So if you haven't watched it, I don't know why you're listening, but the fact that he ends up being the big hero of the day by sacrificing his own life for everyone else is pretty awesome. I mean, it, it's it's a great, great scene. And he turns out to be a fantastic character. Yeah, he's the guy that you obviously you have to hate at the beginning because he's wedging himself in between Barry and Iris when they're finally making some progress together in their relationship. Then all of a sudden, you know... Um, what did uh, Iris call him at the beginning? Called him uh, like Detective Goodlooking or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And uh, she's like, "Oh, that's um, you know, that's Eddie Thon. You know, that's my you know my dad's new partner." And she didn't like him at first. No one liked him at first. And then all of a sudden, he became kind of charming in the way that Barry is not charming. You know, he's good looking. He's rugged. He's an action guy. Even though that you know Barry has to hide his powers. So yeah, it, it, he's an easy person to throw daggers at. But at the very end, and that completely his sacrifice like you said to protect Barry and to protect the rest of the heroes and and all of his friends from a very certain fate that was the most heroic act I think in the entire season because he like he said how am I supposed to compete with somebody who has superpowers or who has this intellect genius or can make robotic stuff out of thin air or someone as smart as to create the star labs I'm nobody I'm a guy with a gun that chases down guys with his two feet but in the end, he had the greatest power of all of them. He had the power to understand that what he would do would change everything. And, and that's, that's, that sacrifice, that's the act of a hero. Yeah. The season ends with Eddie being the hero, which is kind of ironic. But also at the same time, my daughter, who's uh, 14, she watched season one when it originally aired. And I was talking about uh, Eddie the other day to her. And she's like, who's Eddie? And as soon as I mentioned, she's like, oh, I forgot about that guy because I thought he was kind of boring. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, I don't I think it did start off with he was just kind of a stereotypical good looking guy. He's dating Iris. I don't think he was all that likable. It wasn't that he somebody you would hate, but we really tend to as the season go tend to get to know him more and like him more just as Barry does. I mean, Barry wasn't a big fan of Eddie. But then Barry starts to like him and we start to see more and more about about Eddie. And so the sacrifice really kind of hit me because, I mean, I really started to like that character and it's sad to see him go. But I loved his heroism and getting it done and realizing that if he were to live, then the reverse flash 
would live for forever. And if he killed himself now, the reverse flash is gone. Well, and I mean, he literally goes out with a bang. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's not a bad way to go. Uh, well, I think we're all going to agree that Carlos Valdez playing Cisco Ramon, a.k.a. Vibe. Uh, Reverb. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this guy, uh, I Cisco is hysterical. He is one of my favorite, absolute favorite parts of the show. He just, when he's naming villains, and I mean, he is just amazing. I just, I really love his performance, I love that he can be so vulnerable as well and be very serious when he needs to be. At the same time, he is just, he's like Barry. He is enjoying all of this. Like, he is a geek in a candy store, and he is having the best time in his life, and I love it. You know, Matthew, I told you this in uh, in a text once. I, he was not my favorite part of the beginning, not by far. I was like, okay, um... Way to rip off Felicity's character. Way to rip off her, you know, her personality in some way. And, oh, by the way, do they have to have um, multi-level, you know, multifaceted geniuses on every show? And that's kind of like how I took them at first. And, and I, don't, I don't think that I'm the, the only person that did that. But I will say this without any doubt right now. I could not imagine this show without him in it anymore. There was a point in time, and maybe it was the episode when he was, you know, he was dealing with his brother, that you really got to see what Carlos really could bring to the screen as opposed to, you know, a hip thing here or a cool name there or a new piece of kit trinket here or a gadget there. He, for me personally, I think he's had probably the strongest character growth and you got to really see him like just develop more or at least show more as an actor. I think he's unbelievably good in this show with what he does and Sure, there are a couple occasional groaners when he throws out the, the naming conventions and stuff like that, but that's become so much part of his character that you can forgive it now as opposed to hold it against him. Originally, I was holding it all against him, like, really? You're the guy who comes up with the comic book names? But you're right. For every reason that you said is that he's the guy that he can't believe he's there. He's working with a, a honest-to-goodness live superhero, and it's just blown his mind. He's my favorite character. I'll tell you this. I wish he was a real person in real life because I just want to hang out with Cisco. Like, we would just hang out all the time, drink slushies, wear geeky t-shirts, and tinker around with gadgets and stuff. I just love the fact that he's just this fun, easygoing, fun guy that is also, like, one of the most intelligent people in the show and, and that he can do all those things. And he, you know, quotes Star Wars and other geeky things. And, I mean, he's just he's just awesome. That's all I have to say. When he quotes it in the very last episode, well, I guess it's so long and thanks for all the fish. I was, it's just the fact that he's pulling out, uh, you know, the references to things like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all of the obscure things. I love that on the show, he's the one who's like, if you ever need to explain something, he's like, oh, it's like Back to the Future or, right. oh, you yeah. know, so he tells you what rules you're playing by. So you immediately get it. And everybody's like, oh, okay. You know, he... That and when he's working with other people, um, you know, especially when he was working with uh, the Atom, uh, you know, he's it was just this. He is effervescent on screen, and I think he brings that to every scene he's in. And you know, uh, casting on the show is is ridiculous. It, it's amazing. I want what happened to him. At least for me, I want what happened 
to him in, in, in my appreciation of his character happened to win in Supergirl because Cisco's so good or at least Carlos is so good at bringing Cisco to life. The actor who plays Wynn in Supergirl, I felt like he's at that stage for me. I'm wanting to, I, I want him to have that breakout moment for me where he's not the Cisco clone or not the Felicity clone as Cisco I felt was. Cause I think that guy's a really good actor too, but Carlos had a moment for me. And I, I do believe it was the episode with his brother where I'm like, okay, you're a deeper, a far deeper character and a far better actor than I'm giving you credit for. So I'm going to start paying a little bit more attention to you. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I didn't harbor that over him because he's, he's just so good. And, and he brings a lot of comic relief so naturally. And I think it's really needed sometimes. Well, what did you guys think about Tom Cavadoff? Because, uh, yeah, he's just awful. <laughs> um, yeah, I knew him obviously before this show because I was a huge fan of the show that he was on on NBC called Ed. And I kind of fell head over heels for him as an actor. Uh, but I'm wondering how you guys responded to him. Brilliant, amazing, genius. I don't even know, like, I'm not even gonna, I'm just gonna stop talking. That's all I have to say. No, I'm serious. It's like when you see him perform, you don't even know what to believe. He has, he sells you on every second of every performance. And you're just like, wow, I, I can't, I can't imagine like watching the show without him there as Harrison Wells. It's just unreal what he can do, like just with a look or just a, a, a positioning of his body, the way he breathes. Uh, he's fantastic. He's had to have been, uh, you know, theatrically or stage trained because he brings a lot of that to his performance. I just, I can't, crazy, crazy good. Yeah, I mean, there's a balance there for an actor to play someone that is supposed to be liked and liked by the cast until they figure out who he is, but at the same time have that side to him that is a villain. And I mean, even early on in the show, when we started getting hints that he wasn't really a nice guy, it was almost hard to believe, but yet you could feel that underlying sense there that there was something not right about this guy. He seems like he's like the father figure of the group, the professor of, of them, you know, the big brother of them, but something just about him, he had that underlying twinkle in his eye, like he's up to something. And I thought that was brilliant. You know what the saddest thing is, is that we'll never actually get to see the real Harrison Wells of Earth One because Harrison Wells of Earth One, and you're right, we're spoiling this all over the place. Harrison Wells was Eobard Thawne that took over Harrison Wells. And it looked like Harrison Wells for about, I don't know, five minutes was a really good guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, his body was appropriated, body snatcher style, like Cisco said. And then in this season, we don't see Earth One, we see Earth Two Harrison Wells, who's not necessarily the nicest guy either because of what's happening in that storyline. So we never get to see Tom Cavanaugh actually play the real Harrison Wells, like a nice Harrison Wells, you know, the, the one that supposedly was supposed to do all this great stuff at Star Labs. But you're right. There was, um, there's something that happens behind his eyes when he acts and he always has the benefit of the, the, uh, the last scene reveal where he either steps out of his wheelchair or does something or says something. You're like, Oh, come on and then you have to wait another week <laughs> to yeah. see what happens yeah it's almost <laughs> like he's got that little grin too or something little snide look it's just it's incredible he's the only one that knows the secret and everyone yep. else is waiting for that secret to be spoiled what i love about him is this amazing thing that even by the end of the season you still kind of like him like he's a huge jerk 
but you still kind of want to like him. And I think that's the amazingness of Tom Cavanaugh's performance is that the villain still has a way of meaning something to everybody else, you know, like a Cisco or Barry or Caitlin or any of these people. He still had a, he's actually kind of had a good impact on them. So the, the way that Tom plays the part makes you believe that and makes you kind of sad that he's gone until of course something happens in season two we'll talk about that later on so uh jesse martin playing joe west i think i i i don't think i'm wrong when i say that he's the heart of this show he's like the soul of the show as as good as grant gustin is i don't think he would be the same if joe west wasn't being played by jesse martin and they didn't have such amazing chemistry together and a, a side note if they ever decide they want to redo Deep Space Nine, I think he'd be a great Cisco. So, oh gosh, uh, I'm not even sure like how to collect my thoughts about Joe because it's the same way I feel about Tom Cavanaugh's you know Reverse Flash and, and Wells and Thawne. It's just he has what what what's great about this show is that you're you're actually using all of these very seasoned actors. You know, like you're saying, Tom Cavanaugh had a you know a great run as Ed. You had Jesse Martin coming in from Law and Order. You know, you had John Wesley Shipp coming in from Broadway in the original Flash. These are the anchors of the show. These are the these are the mature anchors for for Barry's character. You're right. He's the conscious of the show. He's the heart. He's he's the character that you want to talk to. He's a character that you want to to tell you what to do. Because I think there were a couple times where Barry's like, just Joe, just tell me what to do. What am I supposed to do? He treats you like an adult. He understands when you're vulnerable. And I think the best thing about him, he, he always has that great balance between his profession and his being a father. Not just for Barry, but for Iris, for everybody. And you believe it. That's the great thing about him. It's like You believe that he could be this guy. That's what great casting does is that you fall completely and you're con- totally sold on what these people do. So I love him. And I love the fact that they've created, you know, like um, unforced diversity in this show, you know, because Iris isn't an African-American character in the comics. Neither is, you know, I don't, I don't know Joe West in the comics, but and then you have, you know, Lisa yeah, Joe's Lane. not I mean, Joe's not even in the comics. So you're you know? building this. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's like not forced. It's there. It's real. It's um, unexpected, but at the same time, acceptable. It's just there. It's just natural. He's so natural. I think that's the best thing I can say about his character. He's just a natural actor. Yeah, he is. And he plays that great balance of, you know, you see him at work and he's the tough cop. He's working with Barry. He's a tough cop and he's working with Eddie. But then you turn to the next scene and now he's a father figure to Barry and he's got a big heart and he's, you know, father to Iris. It's like he really plays that tough cop, soft heart dad perfectly well nice balance to it well real quickly uh and then we're going to jump into talking about our villains and rogues but uh just we have to mention how good john wesley ship is he's not in the show very much but as in him playing harry allen i i think he brings uh, a lot of heart as well and i i love the fact that like all of these shows they do a great job of using these original actors when they can uh you know they did it on supergirl they've uh, done some of those things on arrow and and obviously <laughs> bringing brain and ralph in to play uh you know the adam and everything and they really try to use as many of these people who have been involved with comic book properties as much as possible and now we just need tom welling just saying um but 
John Wesley Ship, what did you guys think of him being uh, Barry's dad? Yeah, I think it started with kind of a gimmick because he was like, okay, they're going to put the original Flash on the show to get some of us older Flash fans to come watch it. He was like, yeah, sure, I'll watch it. And it's interesting because uh, I wanted to see, you know, where where's he been? Where's where's the JWS been all these years? But he became so much more than that, I think. And again, that's the strength of the writing and the strength of the characters around him. I think he did a great job. It's you know, you're right. He didn't have a lot of screen time, but the screen time that he had, he really made up for. And it was nice seeing almost a passing of the torch in many ways in those scenes, especially because, you know, you're, you had this father and son relationship and it's separated literally by a pane of glass. And every single time that JWS talks, he's like, okay, Grant, you're doing a great job. Keep pushing forward. The flash mantle belongs to you. You know, I did it for a time, but it's your time now. And, you know, without, in, in saying John Wesley ship, I also have to say Amanda pays is Tina McGee having her role reprised there as a scientist again for a rival tech company against Star Labs, I think is hilarious because she used to run Star Labs in the original series. So I think it's great. It's, it's, um, it is a little gimmicky and I think it works. It's not forced gimmicky. Um, and I think that they actually did a really good job appropriating this model for Supergirl with having Dean Kane and Helen Slater in there because you like keeping it all in the same family. It's like getting a, an artist to come back on a comic book or seeing one of your favorite characters come back after 20 years. It's just, it just feels right. Well, I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, the rogues before we dive into the main villain, uh, you know, because they're, and, and just kind of going through it, got the list here, but we don't, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but talk about some of our favorites throughout the season that showed up, the ones that really struck you that you really were like, oh, every time that character came back, really glad we got them again. Snark. I like Captain Cold. I just love the way Wentworth Miller plays that character and his tone and just how he talks to Barry and everybody. He's just a great character. And, you know, he doesn't even have special powers. He just, he's got this, you know, freezing gun that Cisco, hey, Cisco, there you go. I love him. Cisco makes that freezing gun and this guy uses it. And he's always, he's just a smart villain and he knows how to play people. And I just love that guy. And he keeps appearing like every fourth or fifth episode throughout. And of course we later see him in legends of tomorrow. So, which is really awesome. So he's my favorite villain in this, this show. You know, flash was always famous for having this great rogues gallery and, and you know, on screen, it's no different. I mean, every single episode, it's something that you're like, Oh, there's an old villain, but spun like in a new way, which is really cool. I mean, you have, you know, you have the snart family trio, you know, you have heat wave and, uh, I think the Captain Boomerang was in there. I mean, yes, it's just, was, you're right. Yeah. We have all this, this list of like all these super villains and it's fantastic. To be honest with you, Snart wasn't my favorite at first. I, I didn't really kind of get onto this whole, it always felt like his, his attitude was a little forced, but giving it grow, like letting it grow over time and seeing it in Legends of Tomorrow, it's kind of like Cisco. It's like, yeah, you won me over. You're awesome. I love watching. I love watching you, and I love watching Mick. Um, I like ha seeing those guys to, um, back together from Prison Break because they worked so well together in Prison Break. You know, why not work together on a show and not be just as successful? I think, though, for me uh, overall, though the my villain du jour and for the entire series has to be Harrison Wells. I I just can't get enough of the levels that he, and I say he, I mean Tom Cavanaugh took that character. And even though you kind of knew something was up, 
you always thought that Harrison Wells was a bad guy. You didn't know that Harrison Wells was the reverse Flash up until a point. You know, you always just thought that Harrison Wells had this other agenda. Like, what's he doing? He's kind of like this, you know, ulterior motive guy. But then you're like, no, he's the guy. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> Brain explodes. So they were all great. Um, and of course, love seeing Mark Hamill as the trickster because he's reprising his role when he did it in 1988-89. Yeah, and they show a picture of him from back then, too. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, would have that probably was awesome. exploded if he and then Henry Allen's John Wesley ship um, and uh, Tina McGee, Amanda Pays were all in the same scene together. I don't think they were, but if they all ended up in the same scene together, I probably would have thrown something at my TV uh, in celebration, that is. I have to say, you know, I, um, Bruce, I'm with you. I, I think I really enjoyed Went with Miller from the beginning, and he's just kind of grown on me even more. Uh, he's he's he imbibes that role, you know. And what I love is that throughout this season, through next season, and of course uh, with Legend of Tomorrow, the character gets gets deeper. And that's what's really cool is that they took a character that's kind of servicey at the beginning. And begins to, he actually kind of is slowly warming up, you know? I, I think that's great. Uh, I do love, you know. Did you say he, Captain Cold is warming up? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, Heat Wave is fantastic. I love that they brought on Lisa Snart. Peyton List is the golden glider. Um, I don't know why they're stealing anything when she has a gun that turns things gold. Yeah, I don't understand I, that part either. And Cisco um, made it again for her. So, you know, hey, he can be rich. Just make gold. Yeah, it's exactly. Because I can. Exactly. Um, I, I, you know, Mark Hamill is fantastic. He, he just. There's no. What can I say? He was amazing in that episode. He was fantastic, and what I love about the fact that Tom Cavanaugh playing Eobard Thawne, the Reverse Flash, Harrison Wells, is that reveal of how much they must have thought okay we want to be able to somehow keep tom cavanaugh's character around we need to make him the reverse flash and we also need to have him be able to be around in season two somehow how do we make this all work so the way in which they brought that together i thought was genius and in a real shock when you find out exactly how harrison wells and eobard thawne are now the same person it was it was creepy and scary and wonderful. And then the fact that I think it's so cool. How often do you have a villain have to create the hero that which he hates so that he can make something happen? I don't see that very often. And I thought that dynamic was just astounding in the show. It just created such a tension, especially as the season was starting to wrap up. Uh, at with Barry and Barry trying to hide his true feelings because he knows that he's the bad guy now and I just that whole thing was was an amazing part of this season and and really changed the dynamic of what we think of as like superheroes and supervillains where they spent so much of the season working together it was fantastic a couple last minute things that I wanted to throw in there because it has a big deal to do with the season finale uh, I have to say, you know, kudos and, and my hats off to Victor Garber as Martin Stein, because, again, Firestorm is one of my favorite characters and the relationship that Robbie Amell and 
Victor Garber had on screen as Raymond and Stein and coming together as Firestorm, I literally, I, my heart just exploded with joy. I was just like, wow, I'm seeing Firestorm on TV. And I thought that he did a great job. And I also loved for villains, the threat of Grodd the entire season. From when you first saw the cage torn open in the pilot and you just saw that the nameplate Grodd, I was like, <laughs> I was pointing at the TV. Oh my God, it's Grodd. You know, but we won't see him for a while. And I was like, okay. These people know what they're doing. They brought in Grodd at the very beginnings. That that set pretty much flashes heavies in the rogues in the rogues gallery. It was just great. The the details and how many times that they mentioned the number fifty two were pretty awesome. I have to say that yes, with the moment that they did Grodd, I was cheering. Like Flash had me cheering so much for what they were doing on television. And so many of the times it just like, I can't believe you're doing this on TV. It's blowing my mind. It was just, it was fantastic. I loved it. And that's what made this show so fun. You know, I Arrow primed the pump to be able to do this. And, and it has just continued out through Flash and now through season, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. And they just continue to create, I think, amazing comic book moments. And what I love is that by the time uh, season three of Arrow was happening and Flash season one was happening, it felt every week like you were watching a comic book on TV. Totally. And mainly part of that was the fact that now we had all of these different heroes running around and they show up on each other's shows and it's no big deal. It, it's just like a comic book. And they made that work and I think that was what's so fantastic. But honestly, I think the heart of the show is the father figures. And um, we were joking before the show on the other side of the bar, uh, this show could be called My Three Dads uh, because Barry has these three different people that fill that role in his life. He's got Joe, who I think is really kind of his soul, Henry, who's really his heart, and Harrison that is his mind. And each of these different men are instilling something in this boy to create a man. And I really love that about this show, that it is about fathers and sons and the way in which it's so important for a young man to have a father figure to really teach him what it's like to be a man. Because, I mean, think about that dichotomy between this and Arrow again. Oliver doesn't have that. He doesn't have that to the very end of his life when his father kind of teaches him a little bit about what it's like to be a man, about finally taking responsibility for your actions and then making sure that your, you know, your son survives. Barry has that in spades with Joe, with his father, Harry, and even for the longest time with, with Harrison Wells. I, I think that that is such an amazing, strong message in a day where so many people grow up without strong fathers um, about that, you know, it's just about anyone taking a young boy under their wing and helping them become a man. You know, Joe, this wasn't his son, but it became his son. I just love it. You know, it's an interesting thing when you take a look at the, at the trajectories of the three shows that are out there that are the big properties for, for DC. You have Arrow, you have Flash, and you have Supergirl. Arrow was about Oliver and how he was formed by his friends because he had no support structure. You know, his, his mom wasn't really there for him and his dad completely, except for that one moment, failed him. And then you have Flash where it's, he's completely, you know, supported by 
all of these father figures in one form or another. And then you have Supergirl, who's also supported by all of these really strong female figures, even if Astra's, you know, has her own agenda. You have her sister, you have her mom, and you have Aunt Astra. So you have these really neat ways to connect uh, as a fan uh, in these interesting um, points to connect to. And going back to the Flash here, at any given point in time, Barry's looking for advice. Most of the time it's from Joe, but when he really needs that kind of fatherly advice, he goes to Iron Heights prison and he talks to his dad because he needs to re reevaluate. Like, why am I doing all this? I'm trying to get you free. I'm trying to, you know, to, to write that wrong that was done to you all those years ago that took our, you know, your wife and my mother away. And then you have Harrison Wells and you're like, Harrison Wells, sometimes you can't talk to your friend and sometimes you can't talk to your dad. Sometimes you have to talk to your teacher, you know, your professor someone who you can tell things to that you can't tell the other two and vice versa or vice vice versa. You know, there are so many different ways for him to become this other person, this fully formed person, but each one of them has a direct way of doing that. And I think that's really cool because if it was just Henry Allen, he's only getting one avenue of advice and he's only getting one perspective and all these different people, even if Harrison Wells has his own agenda, he still informs Barry in a way where Barry's like, you know what? I learned something from this man. I learned something from all these men in so many different ways that now it creates a fully formed me and probably makes him a better hero for it and a better person. And we see in that last episode of the season where Barry has the chance to change the past where his father would never go to prison and he could grow up with his father. But then you see that he struggles with that because Joe has been a father to him too. And he doesn't know if he really wants to give that up. And he even says it to Joe. He's like, you know, we, we won't have that relationship anymore. You won't be the one raising me. And Barry doesn't know if he wants to get it up. And Joe's like, you know what? You got to do what you got to do. And this is the right thing for you, Barry. And that's Joe as a father looking to a son and saying, I want what's best for you. Don't worry about me. And that really solidified that there at the end of that last episode. Well, think about, that. Bruce, you bring up a huge, huge point. Think about what Barry can do to time. He can right every single wrong that's been done to him and change the course of history, his own history, if he wanted to. But think about what the people have helped him achieve in terms of creating that moral fiber within himself to not do that. Imagine that. I mean, it's like he can, he can do everything he wants. If he can omega-13 the entire realm of his life. And he doesn't because he knows that there are things that have to be and there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And if he uses his power in that way, he knows that power is being used for wrong and selfish reasons. And that's exactly what Joe's saying. It's like, you're your own man. You can do whatever you want. Do what's right for you. But what's right for Barry is the moral track and not the selfish track. And I think that's something that is supremely important for just the level of power that he has. And when he doesn't change the past, he says, I didn't change it because I love my life. Well, and not only that, but I think that what's so cool about this show is about all of these people who are willing to make sacrifices for the greater good. You know, Joe is willing to make the sacrifice of not having Barry as his son, you know, if if that's what's best for Barry and that's what's best for time. You know, like... These people, I think this whole season is really about the sacrifices we're willing to make for the betterment. And and it really comes down to, in the end, that wonderful sacrifice that Eddie makes. You know, he makes the ultimate sacrifice because it will mean that this person never existed because my life ended. And he's willing to do that. He's willing to lay his life on the line for the betterment of not just 
himself, but everybody else around him and for Central City. Like uh, this is this is what it means to be a hero is is to if you have to, you make that sacrifice. And I think that's fantastic about this show. And it really comes through in these different father figures who are instilling in Barry what it means to be a hero. Even Wells in the end, even the reverse flash is showing Barry what it means to be a hero by not doing what he does, you know, by not taking that selfish road. You know, Harrison is just a person who he wants to be the fastest. He wants to be the best. He's doing it all for himself. And that's not who Barry is. And and Barry continues to live his life in a completely different way. And I think that it's a strong show with amazing messages for, for people these days about taking responsibility and about being willing to sacrifice for the greater good. It's 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 the kind of thing that comics are made of, you know, and, and that's what makes this show so fantastic. And I think part of that, too, goes to the idea that it really subverts the expectations that you have. DC TV, I think, one of the things it does the best is that it subverts expectations about how fast things happen and when things happen. I, I, the fact that you found out in the season... Uh, the mid-season finale that Wells was the man in yellow blew my mind because that's the kind of reveal that most shows would have at the very end of the season and then you go into season two and have to continue. But no, Flash just an arrow. They do things on their own timetable and what it makes it feel like is that every year is a comic book year so that by the end of the year you've told a whole story but you're also connecting to another story. And... I think that's amazing. And even the finale, it's a deliberate, more intimate, slower finale because the massive battle with Wells has taken place in the previous episode. Like, it's just amazing how they work these things because it's not about doing, um, it's not about doing what you expect. It's, it's honestly about doing things the way the comic books do them, but on television. I absolutely agree. The interesting thing about what Flash did at many times, and I think probably more so than Arrow, is that because the reveals at certain times were so unorthodox and unexpected, because they were so big moments or such big moments, you're like, what are they going to do? If this is the finale, what are they going to do for an encore? Because you have to expect that the writers of the show, especially Berlanti, because he's the showrunner, you're like, wow, this guy gets it on so many levels, it's frightening, you know, and what are they going to do next? I think that's probably what keeps bringing people back is that, you're right, it's seeing Harrison Wells revealed so early uh, towards the uh, second half of the season, you're like, why are they doing it so early? Why would they do that? But it's because they have this very specific agenda, I think, uh, in mind. Their show um, planners and the coordinators have this great architecture that's, I think they've already planned probably the next three or four seasons. Well, when you have a comic book line that's been out there for decades, they have so much to mine. There's so many ideas out there that they're probably just digging through it and saying, hey, that's something we can use later. And this is what we can use in season three. And so I do think they have it planned out for the most part what they're going to do for the next upcoming seasons and the direction that's going to go in. And there's just so much of that history and uh, 
just so much in, in, in those comic books that they can just go through and just pick things out and, and kind of put it all on a board and lay it all out. And it's really exciting to see that because, you know, having read comic books for years and, and watching the superhero series way back in the 70s and stuff, they just didn't pay that much attention to it. And this really does feel like it's comic books coming off the page onto the screen and working well different series crossing over with each other, working well together. And I love it. You know, Matthew, you and I have actually had this really good conversation about why DC is probably, um, not probably, I think is actually more successful. If you actually looked at the numbers and the fan followings, DC is not afraid to take risks in these shows at all. They are going to take them because they've calculated the risks out. They want to tell great, exciting stories. They're not beholding to continuity. They're not beholding to pretty much any real super strict timeline, the way that, say, the timing is between the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universes and, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the constraint isn't there, and you can feel the shackles in some sense, you know, on those other shows, but not on these shows. These shows are are really dynamic because they don't have these predestined expectations of timelines p- placed on them in terms of the marketing, in terms of the way that they have to be paced out. I think that they have a lot of freedom. Uh, you and I and Jose Munoz talked about this a long time ago on the 602 when I think when we first started talking about uh, Arrow, maybe even season one and just what's coming up, you can feel that in, it's represented in the, in the, you know, on, on screen. You can feel the excitement from the printed page onto TVs or however you want to watch it. It's not, you don't feel like there's a filter in between you and what you're watching. You feel like it's always exciting. There's always something new. I always feel at the end of an episode, wow, that was awesome. You know, you, you never feel like, oh, man, I can't wait till they get yeah. to the next episode to pay that off. Well, and I think that um, you can tell that one. You know, Jeff Johns has a, a pretty big influence on the television series and in, in helping uh, shepherd that. Um, you can tell that uh, the guys who are behind this these shows love the comics because they're always referencing some aspect of the comics, you know, and they're, they're creating a nice synthesis for their characters, you know, so you can see different pieces of the different ages in the characters. And I mean, you know, golden age, silver age, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's what really helps is that, you know, anytime you put something on screen, you, you can't just create, the Silver Age Flash, you know, you, you kind of have to take all the bits and pieces and kind of create your version. Like, and, and, and it really comes down, they doing the same thing you did in Smallville back in the day. And it really started that trend where you, you create your own version and you make it your own and they own it. You know, uh, the fact that they reference tons of green lantern things on the flash all the time ferris air they they talk about that uh they lost uh, the reason that that airfield closed down is they lost one of their best test pilots uh you know things like that i mean they're so cognizant of the comic book world you feel like you're living in it every time you're in one of these dc shows uh and especially the arrowverse and i'm talking about flash arrow and legend of tomorrow and then Supergirl does the same thing uh, because it's it's run by the same people, even though it's not in the same universe. And so I I love that though. I think that's one of the things that makes this work. And like you said, Norm, because they're not playing with the film universe, 
they get to play in their own sandbox and and almost everything is open to them you know so uh you know if they want to bring on a character you know they're kind of allowed to go shopping in the DC comic book universe for the most part i mean you're not going to see superman and you're not going to see batman show up and you probably won't see wonder woman but you know i i I, anybody else is pretty much fair game, I would think, you know, and uh, I think they just try and bring in people wisely that'll fit into their storyline and that they'll want to continue to use. You know, they, they're they not really doing the one-off things like, oh, let's just bring in Green Lantern for one episode. No, if they were going to do that, they would have a solid plan for making that a part of the series, you know, throughout the rest of it. And so, yeah, they they are killing it, I think, because they are taking huge risks, and risks are paying off, you know. Um, do the reverse flash, season one. That's a huge risk. Uh, and wrapping up that storyline, season one, you know. Um, Arrow did the same thing. Do, you know, this huge Dark Archer thing all the first season, the second season with... Uh, Deathstroke, you know, third season, Rajal Ghoul, fourth season, Hive. I mean, big, big things each season. So uh, they're not playing it safe, and it's fantastic. Legends of Tomorrow, Vandal Savage, <laughs> season one. Um, and best part about this is we got a great gift from the CW early this year. All of those shows have been renewed. Uh, even Legends of Tomorrow, which is an expensive show, and I ha- I didn't know if they'd go past in one season, but yeah, been renewed. So we're going to get more of this coming down the pipeline. Can't wait till we get to talk season two. And um, if you had to give season one a rating, is there a rating you could give it? What about you, Bruce? Uh, I need to be quick with this, right? Oh, wait, there's... Oh, I did a pun. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I was thinking about this and I would say that um, I almost want to say this is a perfect superhero show. So when it comes to that genre, I would give it uh, five lightning bolts out of five, but in television in general, uh, in the scope of all genres and, and, and series out there, I would say a four out of five. Yeah. You know what, Bruce, I have to agree. This is one of those rarely, uh, rare instances where you, when you take a look at the entire season you look at the peaks and the valleys and the momentum, every single episode from a standalone episode and how it fits into the through line, from everything in between, from A to Z, from actors, from story, from emotional content to informing characters, there's nothing that this season missed, in my opinion. So because this is um, a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey type of like uh, issue that we're dealing with, I'm going to give this... No, I'm going to give this six ejecting costume rings out of five. Wow. Because that sixth one came around from the future all the way back to the beginning and put it. <laughs> oh, that in makes front sense. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Oh gosh. Um, I think I'm gonna give this season one Mary Poppins, uh, because it's practically perfect in every way. Uh, I just I don't know how to say it. I this show came out pretty much perfect and it stayed that way throughout the season, and I think it only got better if you ask me. And I was really pleased with that. Um, You know, if there was any downside to it, I think uh, I would have liked to have seen the Iris character written a little bit differently throughout the season, less of a little damsel in distressness, uh, a little um, 
different when the reveal happened, all that kind of stuff. But on a whole, I just I can't really complain. I loved, and I mean loved, rewatching this show. Uh, and and my wife and I were talking about this. One of the the great things about the Arrowverse in general, their shows are so rewatchable because you're finding new little bits and pieces every time you rewatch it that you missed the first time because they're jam packed full of little Easter eggs. And it just makes it so much fun, and it's richer the second time, third time around. So, it's fantastic. Yeah, I only have one worry about this show because, as 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 strongly as I've rated the show, and I would probably actually even rate season two probably higher if that's possible. My biggest concern is the next show after this, because and I'm not talking Supergirl because Supergirl is its own thing. You know, it's it's it has its own voice and it has its own dynamic over there on CBS. And I'm not talking Legends of Tomorrow because Legends of Tomorrow has borrowed bits and pieces from both universes and kind of turned it into its own show. I'm talking about the next singular heroes show, which I hope is Green Lantern, which is what my whole point is, because I'm really worried about will it be able to hit the expectations right out of the gate the way that Flash did? Flash is. I'm not I mean, like, I'm not even kidding. And, and I think a lot of people know that I'm very passionate about certain things like this. Flash is a damn near perfect show. Like in every way. And I'm really concerned that when they finally do Green Lantern, and I do believe in my heart of hearts that they will, because Hal Jordan has that great type of setup. You know, he has the Ferris Air thing where he can disappear and become a hero. He can go to Oa. He can go into space. He comes back and he has Carol Ferris and Pie Face working with him, kind of like his Scooby team, and John Stewart and Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. I mean, he has a great setup. I'm just worried that it won't hit as hard as Flash because Flash is already there. It didn't have to ramp up the way that Arrow did and Arrow sells you because it had the ramp up time and it has the uh it has the um the first of all these shows. So you give it a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more breathing room. But Flash the bar is so high. How do you go higher from that? It's a good question and I'm going to be really interested to see if and what they add next. Um I think it would be really cool if it was uh Green Lantern. Now, I have to say, too, uh, that's a tough show to do because that's a CGI-heavy show, more so than even Flash uh, or even Supergirl, honestly, because you're having to create all of those things out of the ring all the time. I mean, that's that's a... I would love it, though. If they did it, I think he'd fit in perfectly with uh, the, the universe that they've created, and it would be fantastic. Um, so... I, I don't know, but they're doing a great job, and I just hope they will continue to do that. I got to say, we've got some guys doing a great job here as our associate producers, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, through Patreon. Uh, they make sure that this show, The 602 Club, comes to you each and every week, and I really appreciate their support. And See, Patreon is this thing. Uh, we're a listener-supported network, and if you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you can see how you can make sure that all of the shows that we do here on Trek FM keep coming to you each and every week. It's it's a pretty expensive outfit that we have at this point with all of the different shows we're doing, over 20 different shows, special feeds here on the network. We're talking about each and every episode of Star Trek, 629 episodes over 366 days this year in celebration of the 50th anniversary. And that means that with all of that going on, we really do need your support. So go over to patreon.com slash Trek FM and see how you can become part of the team. 
Now, Bruce, when you're not spending time trying to figure out how you can get in and out of red spandex really fast, uh, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and uh, you'll find me occasionally talking and writing over at StarWarsReport.com. And Norm, uh, goodness, when you're not trying to get that suit back into your ring, where can we find you? You have no idea how tough that is. No one knows how tough that is. It's so tough. <laughs> get, get in, in the there! He on, really just, likes yeah. rings, I've noticed on this show. <laughs> Green Lantern, the Ring of Flash. <laughs> I do. It's one of my it's one of my favorite trinkety things. Um you can find me here on the network uh, on Trek FM as one of the co-hosts for Standard Orbit along with Ken Tripp who's an associate producer of this show and Jeffrey Harlan who's also a co-host of Warp 5. You can also find me on the Babel Conference. That's the Trek FM dedicated Facebook listeners page. And speaking of Facebook pages, and hopefully something that I can have uh, Matthew cover on the 602 Club, I'm a huge fan of the Highlander series and the Highlander fandom. And I've just started a page on Facebook called Blood of Kings. It's a secret page. Just type in Blood of Kings into your Facebook feed and find me there. I'll let you in. And if you are a fan of Highlander, the way that I'm a fan of Highlander, um, if you like swords and immortals and lightning, and if you're a Flash fan, you love lightning, um, please rings. visit me on that page. And rings. That's right. So... Uh, and then I'm an executive producer here on the network along with you, Matthew. So we're all having kinds of all types of fun. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us here tonight. Uh, I I love talking about this with you guys. I can't, I can't wait till we get to talk about season two. And if anybody's looking for me, you can find me online and Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Chris Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine here on the network. Also on Literary Tricks with Dan, where we're talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also interview the authors. It's so much fun, so please check that out. You can also find me talking about Star Wars with John Mills at Aggressive Negotiations. We're on the Nerd Party, so just go to themerdparty.com and you'll find us there. And that's all the places you can find me. I want to thank you so much for joining us, and may the Speed Force be with you. 